And welcome to Parallel Church. If you're visiting us for the first time, a special welcome to all of you. We, uh, we're Parallel Church. We say around here for love and impact. And we're, we're just, uh, if you're new here uh, to Parallel Church, hey, so are the rest of us. Isn't that right? I mean, hey, we're only, we're only four weeks into this thing. And uh, we're excited about we rebranded, renamed. And the reason why we, we renamed in this time and at this season is because we really felt that while the world is seeking for opportunities to divide and getting more and more comfortable in their hate, we decided we wanted to be a church that's going to come alongside. That's what parallel means, is to come alongside. We want to come alongside, you know, people in their marriages, people in, in, in you know, finances, people in situations. We want to come alongside churches and ministries. We want to come alongside our communities with my city care and, and doing all these kind of things. We want to come alongside and walk alongside people and, and, and kind of counterpunch what society is getting more and more comfortable in, in division and saying, man, we can, we can do this. We can be different in what we're doing. And we're excited to be one church in five physical locations. So let's welcome everyone that's joining us in Tabor and in Claire's home and in Okotoks and in Lloydminster. Welcome Lethbridge, of course. And welcome all of you joining us online, wherever you are around the world, welcome to you. I want to welcome uh, Kim is watching online and Carol and George and Greg and Deborah and Debbie and Bryn and Jen and Dorothy and Rachel and Tess and Brian. Oh man, look at all these names. Uh, Curtis is in my way and Kelsey and Charlotte and Trish and welcome Curtis as well. That's great. <laughs> it's so good. Welcome to all of you guys. We're in a series called Parallel. And, and we're basically explaining what our church is all about and the culture that we have uh, around uh, here and what we're basically wanting to, to be founded on. And we really do want to, this is not just a name change, we really want to do church different. And at the beginning of, of this year, I read a book uh, called Resilient Faith and that book kind of, I don't know, got under my skin a little bit because it was a book about the early church and some of the things that they did. And what I found fascinating in reading about the early church, and I've read lots of history books on, on the early church before, but what I found fascinating this time is that we live in a society now where we're seeing, you know, and we've got all you know, a lot of Christians panicking over the fact that, you know, as, as the church, we're losing dominion, as we feel like we're losing a little bit of control like we used to be a Christian nation and we used to have some influence as Christians and as the church and our government is doing this and I hear all this panic going on in the church so I read this thinking I read this book thinking okay what did the early church do when Christianity wasn't just um, wasn't not wasn't accepted wasn't tolerated but was actually being persecuted and sought out and killed how did the church respond to the governments and to all the things that are going on in society. And, and what I read and, and saw is what they focused on. I was like, okay, we have to, as a church, as, as the big C church, and as us in particular, as our church, we need to realign with some of the things that Jesus taught and some of the things that Jesus, you know, really made, put a major on. And this is what I've, I've learned. I've been pastoring for 24 years. In the 24 years of pastoring, I've, I've done what I was taught to do and what I saw all the other churches doing, and I took my cue from all of that, and, and Bible school was great, and, and I took my cue from what they trained me there to do, 
But what I, what I somehow missed and grafted into was I started majoring on the minors and minoring on some of the majors. And I'd read all these scriptures, and it, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you're reading the Bible and you read these scriptures, and you've read them. I grew up in the church, so I've read the Bible multiple times, multiple parts of the Bible over and over again. And when you read them, you kind of get so used to it being there that you forget its meaning a little bit. Anybody else? Like, you, you miss this stuff. And then when you, when you read it, it's almost like you, you get a revelation. It's almost like you're reading it for the first time. And one of the things that kind of jumped out at me is reading this book, Resilient Faith, which, which pointed out a lot of things that were going on in the early church and what they focused on. And I started to see what they focused on, and it drove me back again to the New Testament, to Jesus' teaching, to the early church, and to the scriptures about the early church. And what I saw this time that I hadn't seen before that was the focus that Jesus, like I should have seen this, but all of a sudden the focus that Jesus had and what the early church, what they mimicked, and that every single one of the New Testament books put a major focus on. And they put a focus on this one scripture in John 13, verse 34. Jesus said this. This was monumental shift in, in religion and religious thinking. This is a monumental shift in Jewish thinking. This is a monumental shift in human thinking. When Jesus said this, he said, a new command I give you, love one another. Now, as a rabbi, as, as a representative, and Jesus was, you know, viewed as a rabbi, as a teacher of, which a rabbi was just simply somebody who spoke you know, truths about God and truths about, you know, the Mosaic law and, and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus taught all that. He quoted all that. He knew all that. He was viewed as a teacher. Many people approached him and said teacher, called him rabbi. So he was viewed in this regard. But for a rabbi to say, you know, a new command, I give you love one another. And, and it was very clear to the people listening that he was talking about, you know, a, a replacement command of the 612 commands that the Pharisees and the other rabbis were propagating and, and were kind of encouraging, not encouraging, but kind of forcing people to, to live by and, and, you know, behave in such a way to get God's acceptance and to be accepted by them in the church. Jesus comes along and says a new command, a replacement command I give you. And the replacement command wasn't just love God. That would be what would be expected for a rabbi to say. But the replacement command was love one another. And then he doubles down on that and says, as I have loved you. To which to his followers, they saw, they witnessed something different in, in Jesus that they hadn't seen in anybody else. See, they lived in a society much like our society today that was growing very comfortable in divisions. There was, the Jews were, were divide themselves from the Gentiles and, and the Israel, the pure Jews would divide themselves from the Samaritans, the half Jews. And, and they, would, they would divide themselves and separate not only in society, but they'd separate into countries. Samaria was its own country and a, a Samaritan is just half-breed, like it's a half-Jew, it's not a pure Jew. And they were, they were kicked out of Israel because they weren't good enough to live in Jewish land. Like it, 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 it was a society that would separate the Pharisees, one you know, sector of believers, of, of types of Jewish you know, teachers from Sadducees, a different type of Jewish teacher. And they would separate and divide in all these different camps. And Jesus comes along. And he says, love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus operated how he loved them is that he operated so countercultural 
to where the Pharisees would say, you know, you know, there's the sinners and there's the tax collectors and those are the outcasts and the lepers. I mean, they would separate. If you got leprosy, you were kicked out of the city, had to live outside of the camp. If you were, you know, if you were uh, unclean and you you know, you had to go back to the priest to be declared, even if you got healed, to be declared clean in order to go back and live within society. Like it was a very divisive time. And yet Jesus went to the lepers. Jesus went to the outsiders, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. He ate with tax collectors. He invited a tax collector, Matthew, to, to be associated with Jesus, a rabbi, which the two of those are not even supposed to talk to one another, never mind live together, be associated with one another. Jesus would take, you know, a prostitute, which, you know, and, and would have, you know, uh, would be friends with prostitutes and, and, the, and Lazarus and his sisters and, and, and all these things. Like, all the things that rabbis weren't supposed to do, Jesus simply did. And he loved everyone regardless. He loved the thief on the cross who was a criminal dying a deserved death because of the crimes he had committed. And Jesus forgave him in, and audibly so that others would hear and and he would love, like, it just didn't seem to fit. And then Jesus says, love others like I have. And the early, early church, they took this to heart. And, and in a massive way. And we see all throughout Scripture, right from, from, you know, from Jesus saying this in John 13, all throughout the epistles, all throughout uh, Paul's letters and Peter's letters and James, the brother of Jesus's, his letters and John's letters, all throughout all of these letters, this was the focus. This was the focus of the early church. And this is where we're saying as parallel church, this is our focus. This has to be our focus. And the reason, yeah, come on. The reason why it has to be our focus is because, I don't know if you've noticed, anybody noticed the reputation of the church is not the greatest? Like, you start to say, you know, you're a Christian, and they're like, oh, you're one of those. And they automatically put you into the camp of how you vote. Nobody's automatically, they, nobody's automatically assumed how you vote just because you're a Christian. <laughs> right? They put you in a camp about what you st your stance. They all know, because you're a Christian, they all know what you stand against. They have no idea what you stand for, but they sure know what you stand against. And this is, this is how, I mean, the church is not, in our society, is not viewed very respectfully. It may be tolerated in some places of the country, definitely not even tolerated, looked down upon because you're a Christian. And I, I'm looking at this and going, it's interesting that the early church lived in a society that was persecuted by, by the governments and officials and they were put to death, but yet in society, this is what it says in the book of Acts, is that they had favor with all the people. The church did. Favor with all the people. And I was like, how did they have favor with all the people and yet persecuted and killed? How did they have favor with all the people? Because they did this, this command? Is because they loved others like Jesus loved? Because they, they went counterculture? And, and loved those that, and welcomed those that shouldn't have been associating with them, and they associated with those, and they just, they loved all. So I thought, well, as a church, our team, we, we, want to, we got to do church different. So we renamed a parallel church, which means to come along Side. And this is the one command we're going to follow. And this is the one thing that we're going to dedicate our lives to is we're going to love one another as best we can. Not saying we're going to be perfect. We're going to love one another as best we can as, as, as follow what Jesus did and what the early church did and how they loved. What if? 
I mean, Jesus started his entire ministry, his first sermon, Sermon on the Mount, his first sermon. Jesus said these words in Matthew 6. And he taught his followers how to pray right from the beginning. He said, pray this way, our, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Jesus invited what the kingdom of heaven, which is God's way of doing things, he invited us to pray to invite God's kingdom here. And then he says to walk here as God's kingdom, as God's way of doing things is in heaven. And to do that here. That's part of Jesus's first sermon. That's part of what he's saying. And that's why I'm saying we're going to run parallel with people in our community and love all. And we're going to run parallel with the kingdom of heaven and do our best to walk parallel with the kingdom of heaven. Now, this all sounds good. And you're going, OK, yeah, we're in. We're, we're on board and all the rest of it. But I got to I got to give you a warning that that this is as good as it's going to sound. And we can and all the rest of it. this is very disruptive. especially to religion. And so we've been talking over the last number of weeks, we've been talking about um, our values. And, and our values, we've been saying we're going to love all. We're going to follow Jesus' command. We're, we're going to be about community and loving one another. And we're going to be, you know, we're going to... Um, we're going to be authentic. That means that we're going to not just say it, we're going to live it and do it. But the fourth value is disruption. And this one is kind of like, we're going to be intentionally disruptive to religion. Is that okay? The, the five people that shouted out yes on that one are, are ready because the religion disrupts us, doesn't it? Religion is disgusting. Can I just say that? It's okay to say that? Religion is disgusting. The reason why religion is disgusting is, is when I talk about religion, I'm talking about man's system of beliefs. That's what religion is, a system of beliefs. But um, it's a, a religion is a system of beliefs that, that paints a picture of what God is looking for. And each religion on the planet has a system of beliefs that is, it, these beliefs are how you gain credibility with the God that you are worshiping and how you gain credibility with the group that you're associating with, the religion that you're associating with. And the reason why I find that disgusting is because it's a man system. And it's man saying, here's dictating and saying, this is what God, according to us, is going to accept. And, and these, those rules change. I mean, this is, Jesus came along the most religious time and, and God gave 10 commandments. Anybody else having difficult time just obeying the 10? God gave 10 commandments. And in case that wasn't enough, they, religion added 602 more, so that by the time Jesus came along, there are 612 different commandments that people had to live by in order to gain God's acceptance, in order to be part of the in crowd of the church. And Jesus disrupted all of that plan and said, I'm going to replace all that, but just this one command, love one another. And they, the religious is the one that condemned him and killed him for it, because what Jesus was teaching, the people loved, but the religion Hated. It was disruptive. Now I, I want to make something very clear. In the same, in the same sermon that Jesus taught the, the Lord's Prayer, the, the first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the first that first sermon, he said multiple times, "You have heard it said, but I say." I mean, Matthew five is full of these. 
you know, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, but I say it. You've heard it said, but I say it. You've heard it said, but I say it. And you probably read those and went, yeah, that's, 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 that's all good. But here's what Jesus was saying. He says, you've heard the religious say, but I say. You've heard society say, but I say. You've heard what popular opinion is, but this is what I say. This is the truth. This is what I say. And here's what, here's what all of us, including myself, have, when I do, when I, introspectively look at myself, it's a lot easier to follow what is popular opinion or majority of opinion or society's opinion or what we've been grown up in, including, for me, there's a whole lot of religion inside of me because I grew up in the church and was taught this is, the, this is how you be a good Christian. Anybody else? This is how a good Christian behaves and dresses and and talks, and this is what a good Christian does, and this is what a good Christian doesn't do. And uh, anybody else get that? I got a lot of that. This is what you're not supposed to do. And all these things, and we, and we, all of that is good, and there's some of that is good, and, and all that, but at the same time, all we've done is we created our own system of beliefs and religion. So how do we know what to keep and what not to keep? How do we know what, what is... What is of Jesus love one another as I've loved you? How do we how do we do this? And how do we, is it okay? To, how do we disrupt religion without being rebellious? Anybody else want to know? I want to know. I was like, how, how do we how do you separate what is religion and what is Jesus? Because there's a big big difference. And if you're just joining us for the first time, you thought I I thought I came to a church that, because I was looking for religion. Listen, if you came to the wrong church, if you came looking for religion, just just promising you that. If you came to look for a relationship with Jesus, you found the right place. That's all we're about. We want to connect you with Jesus because he is the hope of the world. But if you're looking for religion, this, this, this ain't it. Because I want to tell you, there's a difference between religion and Jesus. And here's the big difference. And I want to give you some, if you're a note taker, this is, you're going to love this. If you're not, you're going to want to be. Because how, how do you separate the kingdom of God which is God's government, God's way of doing things, the kingdom of Jesus. How do you separate what Jesus does from the kingdom of man, which religion is the kingdom of, of man's way of doing things? How do you separate the kingdom of God from the kingdom of man? Here's a couple things. Firstly, the kingdom of man is about control, whereas the kingdom of God is about freedom. So how do you know if, you know, what do you believe in the church you're a part of? How do you know if it's religious or if it's Jesus? How do you know the difference? Well, here's a separating factor is that religion and the kingdom of man, man's thing, this is not just, this is man's behaviors and how, how, man, how man does things is about control. Okay, it's, it's rather than Jesus being about freedom. It's not God's original design, by the way, that any man should rule over another. Just, just let that sink in for a second. It's not God's original design when he created Adam and Eve. In the garden. He's not God's original design for one man to rule over another. God never intended that. In fact, if you look at when, when Israel started as a nation... They didn't have a king. They didn't have a hierarchy system. And it wasn't God's idea that they bring in Saul or have a king. It was them, it was Israel's idea because they said, we want to be like all the other nations. All the other nations 
were, were, had a king who were one man ruling over another. And God said, be careful if you go this way, because if you go this way, they're going to put burdens on you that I wouldn't. Because God's original design is not for one man to control another. That's a little disruptive, isn't it? Isn't that what society says? Like, like, like wait. And yet, like, yet in the church, don't we, we kind of do this, don't we? Listen, don't put me or Pastor Ralph or Pastor Tim or any of our campus pastors, don't put us on pedestals. Like, we're not, we're not closer to God because we're pastors. We're not, it's not about control. It's not about that. It's about all, of, like, it's about gifts working together, bodies working and functioning. And this is all the things that Paul was trying to teach the early church. That, that Peter was trying to teach the early church about, about who, how this works because it is so countercultural to what is this. But it is not God's original design for another man to rule over another. Man's way of doing things is to create classes and, and orders of rulership, and in, including religion, hierarchies. But this is not the kingdom of God mindset. In fact, Paul said this in Galatians 5. He said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus came and said, listen, let's do away with all of those structures. Let's do away with all. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. It's a good place to say amen. But, you, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another in humility in, there it is again, isn't it? In love. This freedom isn't about you. This freedom is so that you can serve others. This freedom, by the way, that God intended us is not so that we can rebel against the government saying, you're right, you're not supposed to rule over me. Da, da, da. Peter corrected all that. It's not so that you're supposed to rebel, do all these kind of stuff. He says it's not that freedom isn't to give you rights. That freedom is to equip you to serve others. In love, to make preferences over others. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, repeating what Jesus said. So our freedom doesn't mean we can lord it over others. Our, our response to freedom is to serve others in love. The second difference is the kingdom of man motivates through fear, whereas the kingdom of God is about love. There's a big difference between Fear and love. How do you know if, there's a, if something is religion or if something is Jesus? And one of the differentiators is the motivation. Let me talk about fear and love. The difference is I could obey my parents out of fear or I could obey my parents out of love and respect. There's a difference. Your kids could obey you out of fear or they could obey you out of love. And listen, fear is a quick, easy motivator, isn't it? And it works. Right? If you don't, I will. That's how fear starts. If you do, I will. That's how, that's how we, and it's a, it's a motivator, and it's a powerful, and they'll respond immediately, and it's, it's great. But listen, just, just yourself, think about this. Fear is a motivator, but love also is a motivator. And the ultimate goal for us parents is to have our children, and, and for me as a, as a child, was, was obeying my parents out of love and respect for them rather than out of terror. 
Because, because both are motivators, but one leads to closer relationship and one pulls away. Isn't that right? So the kingdom of men, the kingdom of religion, motivates through fear. And how many times, Pastor Ralph, have we received letters and emails from people saying, you need to tell people that they're going to hell. You need to tell people about their sin. You need to tell people. In other words, you need to use fear to motivate people to have a relationship with Jesus. And I'm looking at that and saying, that's what religion does, but that's not what Jesus did. Come on. They brought an adulterous woman to, to Jesus and they said, you condemn her, cowards. You condemn her to death. And let's see. And Jesus came along and forgave her and basically showed, and said, showed them that their sin wasn't any different than her sin and that God loves and forgives all. And they walked away confounded. They couldn't figure out how in the world. And yet Jesus, after showing her love, I guarantee you, it was better than her being afraid. She wasn't, I mean, obviously the fear didn't stop her from doing what she did. And yet when, when Jesus got a hold of her with love, she stopped doing what she did. Love's more powerful. Companies, listen, our entire society is built on fear. Right? You don't have to look very far to see fear as a motivator. If you don't, then this. Anybody fill in the blank of what that means? But companies sell on this, don't they? If you don't buy this, then you won't have that. And if you don't do this, it's just everything's like, oh, I got to have. I got to have. And it works. And the reason why they do it is because it works. Governments lead this way. Hello. Religion controls this way. Hello. If you don't, God will get you. But Jesus said, and John said this about Jesus, in this world we are to be like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. In other words, he says we are to be like Jesus who motivated with pure love and had no fear attached to that. So what if parallel church, we could get this one figured out. Fear has to do with punishment. Love casts out fear because God so loved us, he sent his only son to take the punishment for all. The kingdom of man is about power, but the kingdom of God is about empowerment. Look at this. Jesus said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to uh, obey everything I have commanded you as I have basically teach them to obey like I have taught you to obey with love, not fear. Then he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now watch this. Jesus said, all power, all authority has been given to me. And then he empowers us to go. And we're supposed to be like Jesus, that we can walk with this authority in, 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 with the Holy Spirit. We can walk with this authority, but that authority, that power with the Holy Spirit inside of us is not meant to be just for us. That power, that authority is meant to serve and to, and to go and to help and to teach and to preach and to, and to bring that hope, that power to others. It's not about us. 
The kingdom of man creates servants, whereas the kingdom of God creates sons and daughters. Religion creates, you got to serve God, you got to serve God, you got to serve God, which is all well and good. But listen, it's better to, than just being a servant. It's better to be a son or a daughter. There's a difference between a servant and a son or daughter. A servant can only gain a favor if they perform to the expectations, whereas a son and daughter, have your, have your kids all obeyed according to your greatest expectations? They've been so perfect, and the, you love them because they've been so perfect, and all the, sitting with your child are like, yes, you have. You've been so perfect. The truth is, come on, come on, regardless of what they do or don't do, you still love them. Isn't it, isn't it true? It, you, it doesn't affect them. God loves you this way, and he wants you to love him this way. This is a family. This is not, this is not religion, the servant. Where if, we, if we get the servant mentality, then it's all about what we do in order to earn God's love. That's slavery. And Paul said this in Galatians 4, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Religion creates slaves and servants, but the kingdom of God says we are sons and daughters. And heirs of what? The kingdom. The kingdom of man creates religion, which is man's attempt to get to God, where the kingdom of God is about relationship, which is God coming to man. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. It, it, listen, listen, listen. You, you got to get this. If churches are all about our attempt to get to God, and if all we talk about in church is how to get to heaven and escape the hell that is earth, we've missed something. That's only part of the story. This is not an escapist thing and how we're going to get to heaven. Listen, it's not about that. It's about God coming here. Jesus came here, and then he says, all authority has been given to me, so you go. And he, he empowered all of us to be his hands and feet on planet Earth. We're not just supposed to occupy until he comes. We're supposed to gain territory and, and expand his kingdom. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, say, your kingdom come on Earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of man is hard work where the kingdom of God promises rest. And listen, don't, when you put in rest in there, don't put laziness. Because Jesus said this, take my yoke upon you. He said, are you, are you tired, worn out, burned out in religion? Which is, are you burned out from trying to please everybody? Yes. He says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. But he also says in that same passage, take my yoke upon you, which means we're going to do some polling. There's going to be some work involved, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry the load with you. Now watch. We can go with that scripture. Are you tired, worn out? I've, I've said this multiple times, right? Get away with me. With. Walk with. Come with. Jesus invite us to walk parallel with him. Now I'm going to close with, with, with one of my, I can't read this passage of scripture without giggling. Um, one of my favorite things because Jesus goes off. I mean, you all picture Jesus. Some of you picture Jesus from, from some of the old Christian movies where he's just like this meek, mild, calm, blonde-haired, by the way, and blue eyes like, mm. no, probably not. But you picture them as this, like this stoic thing like this. Listen, Jesus goes off. And I giggle because I was like, 
wow, like, I wish I could have say things like this sometimes, like, wow. So I'm just going to let him do the talking. Look at what Jesus thinks about religion. Just in case you're thinking, well, Jesus is a religious leader, and he died on the cross to start a religion. Yeah, no. Look at what Jesus thinks. This is what Jesus says. Then Jesus addressed both the crowds and, the, and his disciples and said, the religious scholars and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat as the authorized interpreters of the law. That's what the Pharisees would put themselves in saying that they would interpret what Moses wrote and everybody was supposed to follow. So listen and follow what they teach. And he says, okay, listen and follow what they teach because what God gave originally is good. But then he says, but don't do what they do. <laughs> which, yeah, which would be like, which would be like, Jesus just said, hypocrites. Right? And, and guess who's listening to him, too, while he's saying this? This is Matthew 23, by the way. Jesus gets arrested, like, right after this by the same people that he's talking about here. He goes off. He says, don't do what they do, for they tell you one thing and do another. Hmm. Nobody's ever seen this in church, right? Okay, but notice who Jesus is addressing. Jesus is addressing the crowds and the disciples. He's, this is a public statement he's making. This is not in private. This is public. He goes off. Then he says this, they tie on your backs an oppressive burden of religious obligations and insist that you carry them, but will never lift a finger to help ease your load. <laughs> you think Jesus likes church? Not that kind. Come on. They tell you all the things that you shouldn't do and all the, all the stuff. They put oppressive burdens on what you're supposed to do and you walk out of church feeling like, I'm a terrible human being. And then they don't lift a finger to help you. Jesus says, that's not what you're supposed to do. He says, everything they do is for show and to be noticed by others. Ouch. Then he goes this. He goes on. He says, great sorrow awaits you religious scholars and Pharisees, frauds and pretenders. For you are obsessed with peripheral issues, like insisting on paying meticulous tithes on the smallest herbs that grow in your gardens, and these matters are fine. Jesus didn't say paying tithes was wrong. He said, that's all, that's all good. But you're, he, what he's, Jesus is saying is you're majoring in the minors and missing the whole point. He says, these matters are fine, yet you ignore the most important duties of all, to walk in the love of God, to display mercy to others, and to live with integrity, readjust your values, and place first things first. And I read this, and I was like, this is, this, is, this is why we say love all. To walk in love, the love of God. Jesus said, love one another. That's why we say love all. To display mercy to others, that's why we say community. And to live with integrity, that's why we say authenticity. And to readjust your values and place first things first. And how he's addressing this is why we're going to be disruptive. Amen? You know what else Jesus said? He, he go, this entire chapter, if you just want to have some, some fun, read Matthew 23. Because Jesus you know, goes on to say, you brood of vipers. He basically calls them your snakes. Then he says... 
you're like empty washed, you know, you're like tombs. Like you look great on the outside, but inside you're, you're full of rotting, dead flesh eaten by maggots. Like he basically called them maggots. I mean, this is just lovely. I was just like, whoa, Jesus went off. He goes, he goes, and his whole thing is he's going after the religious and after the religious, very disruptive. And then he looks at his, the people he's addressing, the, the disciples and the crowds, and he's, this is what he says to them. I mean, the Pharisees are here because he addresses them and calls them frauds and all the rest of it, and they're, I'm sure they're loving his message. And then he looks at the crowds and his disciples and he says this, but you are to be different from that. So as Parallel Church, we're going to love all. We're going to be about community. We're going to be about authenticity. And we're going to be about disruption because we're going to be different from what religious Christianity is. And listen, listen, I'm not, I'm not condemning every other church. I'm not saying we're going to be the best church. I, I actually, I spent a, 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 the Thursday, I spent a day with a bunch of pastors and I was surprised at, at, at how all, a lot of the pastors are saying the same stuff and God's working the same things and they're saying the same stuff. God's doing something in his church. But listen, at the same time, there's some opposition to this thing and some pressing back on this thing. And it's coming from the religious because why is religion pressing back and hating this? And why did they kill Jesus? Because when Jesus came with this message, they were losing control. And they panicked over losing control. Which only points out that religion is different than what Jesus gave. Let's not panic over losing control in our nation. Come on, church. Let's not panic about losing control. Let's just love all. Let's be different than religion. Let's just be counter that and show that the real hope, the lasting hope, is Jesus. Here's today's takeaway. We are redefining what it means to be part of a church community. That's the disruption. We're going to redefine. Redefine what? For other churches? No, we're going to redefine for our society. We need to make a, a statement that this is different. We've got to redefine. Because everybody assumes what it, what it means to be part of a church community. We're going to redefine it, what it means to be a part of a church community, following Jesus' lead, creating engaging and impactful experiences that are grounded in love, mercy and integrity taken right from Matthew 23 love mercy and integrity let's pray God I thank you so much that you modeled this for us and Lord I pray that you'd help each one of us Holy Spirit help each one of us to see where we have our own traditions of men motivated by fear motivated by control motivated by the loss of control. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see and understand, Lord, that those tendencies in us based on society and what's accepted and what we've grown up with, Lord, I pray that you'd help us root it out in us. I pray in Jesus' name that we would follow your lead, Jesus, and love one another as you have loved us. To, to, lead, to live and to lead with love and integrity and mercy in Jesus' name. Help us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, maybe it's because religion disgusted you and you didn't want anything to do with it. But I, I want to let you know you can have a relationship with Jesus and it's completely opposite religion. As you saw what Jesus thought of religion. And I want to invite you to begin that relationship. Paul, who the apostle who grew up in religion, 
had an encounter with Jesus and it transformed his life. And this is what he said. He says, the way to gain God's acceptance is not to be better, not to do better, and not to change and all the rest. He said, the way to gain God's acceptance is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is God and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's it. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer that does just that. You're going to confess with your mouth that Jesus is God. And if you believe what you're praying right here, right now, that you believe Jesus is God and you believe that he rose again from the dead right here, in this moment, you can begin a relationship with Jesus. It's not joining a church. It's not joining religion. In fact, it's the opposite. It's a personal relationship with him. So let's pray this together. Everyone repeat this after me. If you're watching online, pray with me wherever you are. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you right now to become my God, my Lord and Savior, Thank you for forgiving me of all of my wrongs. For accepting me just as I am. I give my heart to you. In Jesus' name.